crowd this morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm Althea Brooks and I'm Senior Director at Lifetime Learning in the Office of Engagement. And we partner with the Alumni Association in providing you this great lecture series on Saturday mornings. Um, so if you'll find a seat, we've got some empty seats up front. We've got more in the back on the sides over here. Um, there's plenty of seats, so um, find a seat. It's a beautiful um, kind of summer, but, but almost fall morning. So we're glad that you're here. We've got a great panel that we've assembled to talk about autism, which is an important uh, topic right now in, in the US, perhaps around the world. Um, and we're really privileged to have them all here. So let's give them a nice welcome, uh, more than the score welcome, before they even are introduced. Please, make them feel They'll be introduced in just a few moments. Um, just a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, our next talk, which is October 7th, will be held at the Newcomb Hall Theater, which is a, a great space. It's um, pretty spacious. If you've not been there, you can park at the Central Garage. There's a small price for uh, parking there, or you can park here if you've got a lifetime membership or also on the streets. But it's a fantastic location for our bicentennial talk. We'll be moving there on the 7th, so don't forget. We'll have signs here just in case you wander back. Um, but uh, we'll be meeting over at Alumni Theater at 10 a.m. for that talk. And that'll be Alan Taylor speaking about um, Mr. Jefferson and why he assembled, why he created uh, the University of Virginia. And on that note, we are, we'll be giving away a book um, today. It's The 100 Objects, which, which talks about the history of the University of Virginia using objects, important objects for the University of Virginia. So hopefully you filled out a uh, card, and uh, we'll be pulling that towards the end. We'll be ending promptly, promptly at 11 AM, because there's a 12 o'clock game. I wonder what that noise is. Hopefully it uh, will end before our speakers get up. <laughs> um, okay, so we've passed out those great orange feedback cards. Please take a moment and fill those out for us. Uh, we'd love to have your comments about today's talk. And I'm going to turn things over. We have, um, for those of you that have not met her, we have the new president and CEO of the Alumni Association, our partners who help us produce more than the score, Jennifer Andresco. She'll be um, introducing our speaker for the morning. Just a little bit about Jennifer. And I think she goes by Jen. She is former US Navy pilot and mission commander and NATO officer. She's coming with us with a lot of power. Um, <laughs> And I believe she'll be excellent at the helm of the Alumni Association. Please help us welcome her to introduce our speakers for the morning. So glad that you're here. Thanks, Althea. Good morning, everyone. It is an absolute pleasure and delight for me to welcome you to Alumni Hall this morning, very selfishly. Uh, it's a fantastic partnership that we have with the Office of Lifetime Learning because we get to welcome you back here to Alumni Hall and it's an opportunity for us to uh, meet and talk with you um, and hear what is on your mind. So I'm absolutely delighted to be in this role. I ho hope I have an opportunity to meet a number of you after this morning's talk. I'll be um, out uh, on the steps as you're moving on to the game. But I have the distinct pleasure this morning of introducing Catherine Bradshaw. And Catherine is a professor and the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development. Little quip about Catherine when I was doing my research on uh, introducing her. Her CV was 51 pages long. <laughs> she is an extraordinarily accomplished professor. Um, she graduated from the University of Richmond in 1997. She was magna cum laude and um, Phi Beta Kappa there. She went on um, and to earn her doctorate in developmental psychology from Cornell University. Prior to that, her master's of education in counseling from the University of Georgia. Prior to joining us here at the Curry School, she was an associate professor and the associate chair of the Department of Medical Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. 
Um, and her primary research has been focused on the development of aggressive behavior and school-based prevention. I'm not going to steal Catherine's thunder. She's going to introduce um, our prestigious panel this afternoon. But Catherine, we are absolutely delighted to have you this morning. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. I know this is an important topic, and we look forward to hearing from the panelists. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm always so impressed by our audience and our alumni, as well as our faculty. So I have the great honor of just setting the stage a little bit for what I hope will be a conversation around autism and where UVA intends to go in this perspective. Uh, as many of us do, I also have a personal connection to this. I'm the godmother of a six-year-old who uh, lives in Richmond who has autism, and I think that also grounds me in terms of my interest in this issue. He was born about a month before my own daughter, so I have a very personal connection uh, to this issue as well as an intellectual and research connection. Uh, within the Curry School, I have the great privilege of helping to coordinate some of our research and collaborative efforts both within the school as well as across grounds. and. Our, our leadership, Dean Pianta, who is here with us today, is very supportive of this effort and has really helped us anchor our mission and vision as we think about the next stage of work that we do around autism. So in terms of understanding autism, I think we have so many experts here in the audience. I don't want to, to belabor a lot of the details and statistics, but I do want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of the significance of this disorder, as well as the challenges and the opportunities that are afforded when we think about working with children on the spectrum. Uh, children with uh, autism spectrum disorder carry a range of, of challenging behaviors uh, that show up in the classroom, present challenges for family members and for peers. But they also have uh, what Ron Suskin talks about as affinities or strengths and opportunities and passions they really can be leveraged. And we in the Curry School and here at UVA do take a strength-based approach of thinking about autism and really wanting to capitalize on those strengths as well as thinking about some of the challenges and how we can support them. And what's clear is that there are growing rates of autism across the country. And we can debate the statistics and try to understand why this is the case. In many cases, understanding the prevalence of autism has helped us become better at detecting it and screening early on and communicating about it. So that awareness has helped us. But as we were trying to unpack this statistic of one out of 68, what does that really look like? But since we're all headed up the street today, we can have a sense of thinking about what that looks like. If you were to envision Scott Stadium with the uh, over 61,000 people that hopefully will be packing the game today, think about that proportion of individuals that might be there with autism. And we can just visualize this if we were to use that statistic of one out of 68. Think about this group of roughly 904 sitting right on the 50-yard uh, the line. It might give you a sense of visualizing the impact and the scope of this disorder. But then also think about the families that are directly affected and actively involved in supporting those children and adults. And then think about the broader family of parent, grandparents, uh, cousins, and then the classmates and peers, and us all as a community and how we are affected and how we can be part of a solution and part of a change process. So with that issue of supply coming up, we also have an issue of, of demand. We don't have as many resources that are available to help our families, and we don't have as much early screening and early identification as we really need. And families are seeking questions, uh, having answers that we don't actually have just yet. So we're really working hard not only to develop a research base around this issue, but also to provide the kind of services and support. So with those growing demands, we have a big gap between where we're actually providing services. In fact, data within the state of Virginia indicates only about 50% of people with autism are getting the services that they actually need. And sadly, this is an area Virginia doesn't lead the pack when we think about actually helping out. When you look at the national numbers, we rank 39th across states across the United States that are actually providing quality services and meeting needs for individuals with autism. So we have a lot of work to do, not only broadly within the state, but even within the state. Where do we actually see children located and families located that are needing these services? So these are some data actually from our colleagues over in nursing. Pamela de Guzman recently published this paper where she mapped children that are being screened across the state in five different child development centers for autism. And so these are children roughly age five and less. And you can see each of those little blue dots is a child that has been screened and diagnosed with autism. 
And we can look at that mapping on top of our density within the, within the state. So where are we more popula populated? And this is really where issues around telemedicine are so important. And we think about the reach that our colleagues will hear a little bit from David about the opportunity that we have being geographically located right in the middle of the state here at UVA. We can help reach and connect up some of those different centers and provide much more visibility for the work that needs to go on in coordination across the state. So this is really very striking information that's helpful for us to understand the local impact and the local need. And what are some of those local needs? We continue to hear the need for early diagnosis. Those data were about age five. We really need to be thinking about this much earlier. In fact, we have good techniques that can help us diagnose and identify children even as early as age two. And so we need more opportunities to provide training and connectivity across the state to be able to provide that early identification and diagnosis. Because we know the delayed uh, identification leads to delayed uh, delivery of services and, and that also translates into poor outcomes for kids with autism. So these needs are very evident. They show up in childhood, they show up across the life course. In fact, young adults with autism are challenged to find opportunities for workforce development. So we need to be taking a life course perspective and thinking about children, families, and young adults that we can be able to provide a full range of support services for. As a university, we have partnerships that we need to be developing, not only across grounds in these different areas, but also within our community. And only through those partnerships are we going to be able to discover new solutions to many of these questions, identify resources, and collaborate to provide additional top quality training to professionals. And UVA is very well positioned to be able to do this. We already have a multidisciplinary team having a school of medicine here and very active in this space. We're thrilled to have Yadip Kapoor, who is here uh, from the Brain Institute, if you want to kind of uh, wave a little bit. We have been working very closely with the Brain Institute in this space. We actually organized a conference with them back in April that many of you attended, where we talked about some of the research innovations that are going on here at UVA and ways that we can work collaboratively to be able to talk more about brain science and the connection of the brain and body to be able to deliver better services and inform that. We also have collaborators more broadly within the School of Medicine, like Dan Cox, who was presenting at that event, and talked about driving simulators and young adults with autism and the kind of supports that we need to be able to provide. We also have really deep connections with developmental pediatrics that are represented here today. Um, we have Rich Stevenson, who directs that group, as well as Beth Ellen Davis, who I know is uh, in the audience and very active in the clinical supports. We're also working on additional hires that would connect up our Sheila Johnson Center within the Curry School and the work that's going on in developmental pediatrics. Uh, we have a number of other faculty that are deeply involved in this work, also within the college, like the Department of Psychology. Vikram Jaswell, who's a faculty member who's also personally affected around this issue and very much a personal advocate, uh, as well as a professional researcher in this space. He's actually teaching a course today uh, for undergrads at the university and has a course assignment where the students in his class go out and work with a community organization around the topic of autism. So Vikram wasn't able to join us today, but I think this just illustrates some of the brief examples of, of collaboration and, and uh, intrigue that we have around this issue as well as expertise that's growing and, and increasing all the time. And this is really where UVA is starting to consolidate a plan around our work in autism. We've been thinking about what kind of research do we need that's on grounds, that's in collaboration with our partners in the community. What kind of support services do we need to be providing, both locally as well as the leadership we can provide for service delivery across the Commonwealth and the nation. And what kind of training can we provide, not only for our students here on grounds or that are studying with us across the state, but how can we leverage telemedicine and other kind of uh, technologies to provide training to other professionals within the field that are across the state, really trying to connect up that map that I showed you through training and other kinds of approaches. You'll hear a little bit more about that infrastructure through Micah Masrick, who just joined us this fall and has been helping us develop a vision for that. And this is going to require deep partnerships. And we are thrilled to have some local partners and statewide partners and national partners that are eager to collaborate with us on this. 
Um, Ethan Long was one of the first people I met here in Charlottesville, and I know Ethan is uh, out here. He represents Vi. If you can stand up and wave to us, Ethan, that's great. Uh, we are so excited to have a, a deepening and growing partnership with Vaya, who's had a long-time presence in this space and is really um, very open and helping to push us along a little bit. And we welcome that, those opportunities for collaboration as well as that challenge to step into that space. Uh, the Faison Center, located in Richmond, has also been over and vice versa. We have been collaborating with them and thinking about the statewide reach that we can really connect up as well as some regional and national and global partners through Autism Speaks. They were present when we had our April event here and continue to express strong interest in collaboration with UVA around this. And only through this are we going to expand our reach across the Commonwealth, being able to connect up with some of our other university partners and hospitals and practitioners and families to develop and pilot and innovate around this space as well as develop models of high quality service and expand that reach on a global level, putting UVA as a leader in the space of working with autism, particularly around family-focused support services. So this is a pretty ambitious scope of work that we're setting out here, and it's going to require a lot of partners. And so for that effort, we've convened a, a panel of experts. This is really just the, the, a small assortment of our faculty that are involved in helping us think through this. But we invited three of our experts here today to talk a little bit about where they see UVA going in this space and how we can partner together to try to get some early wins and some successes in this area, as well as develop a longer-term plan for working together around issues of autism within the state and nationally. So I've asked Micah Masaryk, who is actually one of our hires in this area. We got some support from the provost's office to make four hires, which are referred to as cluster hires, so that way they can all work together and uh, collaborate with us. And so we are thrilled that, that Yuja is another, Yuja Wa, who uh, joined us uh, this year also. And we have two others that are planned that are going to be located in the School of Medicine over this next year. So I think this also signals our broader interest. But I wanted to introduce Micah to talk a little bit about her recent transition uh, to UVA and where she sees us moving in, in this next stage. Thanks so much for the introduction, Catherine. Um, I'm Micah Mazurik. I'm a clinical psychologist and just moved here to UVA from the University of Missouri, where I worked at the Thompson Center for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Disorders for the past 12 years, um, doing a combination of research, clinical service, and training um, in a very integrated and interdisciplinary way at that center. And I think that's what, I th that's what can really help us drive the field forward here at UVA because autism is such a complex condition and so many people have so much expertise to bring to the table. It's really a team sport. So I think that's very exciting to think about the expertise that we have on grounds here at UVA in the community from family members and people with autism themselves and kind of bringing us all together to the table to answer these um, really big questions about what's going to improve outcomes for people with autism and their families. My research has focused pretty broadly on improving outcomes for people with autism and their families through developing new assessment tools that help us do a better job of tracking um, improvements as a, as a result of treatment, um, developing new ways to identify targets for treatment so that we make sure that our interventions um, really are individualized because we know that one size doesn't fit all for all people with autism. So we want to do a better job of developing more effective, targeted, and accurate assessments and interventions. Um, and then another area of my research and kind of clinical um, interests are improving access to best practice evidence-based care for families um, across uh, the state, the country, and the globe, um, especially underserved populations. Uh, we know that not everybody can come to autism centers to receive services, and they need those services in their local communities. So some of my work has included um, leveraging technologies to be able to deliver interventions and training in rural, remote areas to improve access to care for those families. Great. Next up is uh, Bill Therian, who is a professor of special education in the Curry School and joined UVA a couple of years ago and has really been helping to think more about our partnerships and, and collaboration externally. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming. This is uh, uh, a topic that we're all very passionate about and we're excited that you're passionate about it as well. Uh, so Catherine kind of talked about kind of the enormity of the problem. 
and where we cur currently are. And I am privileged to represent a group of thousands of individuals that are located all throughout our state who are working with individuals with autism every day, 180 days a year, six hours at a time. And those are teachers. Teachers are on your front line. Do we have any teachers in the audience at all? Thank, thank you very much. So, so when we think about this type of an effort and why we say community-based is because the solutions aren't at UVA or cannot be implemented at UVA. They need to be implemented in the community with our community partners. And a primary partner for that is our teachers. And that is where I'm privileged to, to work with. And so our goal with teachers is to provide them with the tools they need and the, uh, and the programs they need in order to make a difference. And when we do that, we see phenomenal, phenomenal changes. Let me give you one example. Uh, there's some conventional wisdom in special education in general that once kids get into high school that you should no longer focus on teaching individuals how to read. Uh, and that's kind of a conventional wisdom. We stopped teaching reading. And we found through some very intensive support in, in, with reading programs that we can improve reading levels up to fourth, fifth, sixth grade instructional level relatively. And then when we embed that with intense instruction in the vocabulary that they might be interested in, a vocation, uh, personal interests, that they can read and comprehend at the same level as the rest of us. So uh, you know, when we think about this effort, uh, my goal for it is to always say, what about the teachers? How can we utilize the teachers and give the teachers what they want? So thank you. And next is David Cattell Gordon from the School of Medicine, who's very involved in uh, work around tele, uh, telemedicine and, and, uh, and also has a personal connection to this issue. So good, good morning, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. And I think you know, the, the slides of Scott Stadium to show that engagement, um, that's why this issue is more than the score, isn't it? Um, this is, there's the old expression we all know, it takes, a village to, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a child with autism to raise the consciousness of an academical village, and our consciousness is raised. Um, my name is David Cattell Gordon. I am the director of telemedicine at UVA, uh, but I wear a lot of hats and, and tams and plumage when it comes to this issue of, of autism. Um, I am on the faculty of public health sciences uh, in the School of, of Medicine. I am the director of rural outreach for the university health system. Um, I am also a senior advisor to the Healthy Appalachia Institute, which is a public health institute at the College of Wise and is really a point of important connection for us as we reach into rural communities. I'm also a kid from the coal fields, and so that's of special um, importance to me. I wear um, the hat as one of the founders and a board member of the Virginia Institute of Autism, uh, one of the great experiences of my life uh, to go from, from isolation to community with VIA and now to have the university as a part of that is amazing. The three of us, the four of us stood up here this morning really getting chills uh, talking to each other about what this means. Uh, many of you may know that um, that the root word for autism is Greek. Um, auto means uh, aloneness. Um, and somewhere at the core of autism is isolation. And rather than focus on the pathology of this isolation, our efforts as a university, as Catherine so eloquently said, is really about beginning from a place of strengths. To, to understand how we break down that isolation. Um, I'll give you a brief example, um, and, and that has to do with telemedicine, the ability to see a family and form a relationship at a distance. Can you imagine, uh, as a single mom, loading up your eight-year-old uh, child with autism who is behaviorally challenged uh, in, in your car, which has mechanical problems, and trying to drive for five hours? Uh, to get here to sit down with one of our fabulous mm -hmm. developmental pediatricians to do some medication management and then go home. How hard that is when you have limited resources and so you don't come. Um, and I think that's that the data we saw is evident. We need to expand our reach. Imagine now that that kid can go 20 minutes from home and go to a safe space in a clinic, have support there, 
people they know from the community and reach incredible teachers here, incredible faculty, incredible developmental pediatricians to reach teachers from the Virginia Institute of Autism who are curry trained, who can get on the screen. Um, I had the privilege two weeks ago to be in an encounter uh, with a, a great developmental pediatrician, now retired here, Marion Halperin, who was connected and taking care of a family. And that eight-year-old child at the end of that session, who was so engaged by learning visually on a monitor, went up at the end of the session and hugged the monitor. That's connection, that's breaking isolation, and that's what we are building here at the university. And I think just following up on that, when I pulled up this map, uh, looking at some of this research, I was just so impressed that we have not only expertise here at UVA that are interested in trying to map and understand this issue, but also thinking very much about what can we do. And, and so this is very real data when you take a look at it. And while we talk about UVA being somewhat geographically challenged, being in the middle of the state, we're actually geographically located in an optimal space to be able to increase that, that, that connectivity. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit more and, and hear you talk a little bit more about your vision for leveraging the telemedicine model. And, and with other developments that are going on here at UVA, obviously we have UVA at WISE, which is located way down here. You don't see a whole lot of dots down there, and that's likely because kids aren't really being detected and that they aren't having those kinds of resources in the screening. And as we also visualize up on that north side, as, as you, if you're not familiar with looking at these, with these kind of graphs, as we get darker into the darker green, that shows more population density, meaning more people are living there. And so you see your more urban areas have a darker green. And that tends to be where there are more people, but there are also more resources. And that's probably why you see more of those dots. But the lack of dots in the other spaces it could be they're getting services at other places, but there are probably a lot of unmet needs and the ability for us to reach through telemedicine and coordinate up. And UVA is developing a partnership through the School of Medicine with ANOVA in Northern Virginia, and that provides another tentacle as we think about our reach, given that we are geographically in the middle of the state as uh, Jefferson intended us to be to connect up the state. Talk about how you see telemedicine reaching into those other areas and serving that connectivity. Ab ab absolutely. Um, I, I left out one of my hats. No. I don't want to leave out this hat because it's a top hat with some peacock feathers in it. And that is that I am um, the parent of, of two incredible young men, one of them sitting right there, my son Joseph, and my <laughs> other son, see that Grateful Dead t-shirt? That's uh. fabulous. Um, my other son, Daniel, um, has autism. He's 26 years old. He is seven feet tall. He is the tallest person with autism in the world. Okay? <laughs> and we all come by our, you know, credits in different ways. And he's an extraordinary young man, and he's a gentle giant because he wasn't isolated, because he had access to the resources he needed to connect to the world so that the last Saturday we could go to the Alamo, uh, we could get some pizza and do the sing-along to, uh, what's, a, what's a movie with John Travolta? Greece. Greece. Yeah. Oh, he loves those songs, and he was booming yeah. it. I should know that. Um, but, but this is to the point. We weren't isolated, but those kids in Southwest Virginia, the reason that there aren't blue dots there is because they don't have access to the resources they need. They don't have, their teachers don't have access to the training they need. Uh, they don't have regular communication with other professionals to support them in their work. And so telemedicine exists as a resource to, to reach them all. Who in this room has one of these? Can we just see by it just is a powerful thing. Everybody has one of these. We are in the middle of a digital revolution. Um, Google estimates that by 2020, 90% of all packets on the internet are going to be video packets. We're going to look at each other when we talk to each other. We're going to be able to go into the schools, as Vi is currently doing in a partnership with UVA with a large uh, HRSA grant, multi-million dollar grant, to reach in, to train teachers, to see the students, to run support groups for the families, because we can see each other and talk to each other. And then we can extend that service through our partners throughout the state in models to create access uh, to training. Uh, we can 
put patients on to clinical studies. We can extend what we do in terms of healthcare. And so we're going to be able to leverage the Karen S. Ruban Center for Telehealth, one of the top five uh, centers for telehealth in academic settings in the United States. We have that resource here to be able to change Virginia from 39th to 1st. Great, well thank you. I would love to, to dip back a little bit to Bill and the work that he's been doing around partnerships, both in, in collaboration with, with VIA and uh, developing some innovative models for training our students and working collaboratively, but also partnering with our colleagues in the School of Medicine around developmental pediatrics. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the sure. pilot work you've been sure. So, uh yeah, just kind of uh, talk a little bit off of what David's uh, uh, indicated is. So we, one of our approaches and our, one of our main concerns with this is to put the person in the middle, right? So oftentimes with any type of services that you provide for someone with autism, first of all, so he mentioned this, this family in southwest Virginia needing to drive six hours up to uh, University of Virginia, which is unlikely. Uh, but even if they can't get up here, what do you think are the chances they're going to have to go to one spot and meet with a group of cadre of people to help them at one particular time? You know, they're going to be lucky if they can find a parking spot. So uh, what we want to do is we want to put the family and the person in the center and, and meet their needs as a group of individuals. And, that, and that's why we're here. That's why David and I are working together. So he has these resources related to telemedicine. Uh, he has the expertise related to uh, development of pediatrics. Uh, I bring the, the teachers, and uh, Curry brings a lot of other expertise with that. And so we want, we want to work together. We want, we want to develop solutions that puts the family first and uh, integrates them so that, so that they feel like a whole individual instead of being pulled to speech uh, pathology and clinical psychology and special education and audiology and so on and so forth. And then on top of that, we want to train in that way. We want to train the next group of experts and psychologists and pediatricians and special education teachers and regular education teachers and the whole host of them to work together to meet individuals' needs and uh, for individuals with autism and, and all kids. And so a critical part of that for us is being in the community. Right? So our work is in the community and one of our major partners is the Virginia Institute on Autism. And so we, one of my main goals when I came here, when it came to training, and we trained both regular education and special education teachers, was making sure that all teachers, all teachers, got some experience with autism. And so we have uh, VIA employees that are coming into the Sheila Johnson Clinic right in Bavaro. So even our regular education teachers who aren't special education teachers aren't going to be uh, working with kids with autism every second of the day. They're getting that background and they're getting that experience because it really, we, we need a comprehensive approach uh, in order to solve uh, these problems. And then uh, we benefit from their expertise in autism. And so our teachers and our other professionals are, are leaving Curry and are leaving UVA with the skills in order to make a difference. And, and they're going all over there, all over the state and all over the world. So, so my research, my passion, my uh, concern for my for my students is all centered on how do we improve the lives of these individuals. And they have so much potential, so much untapped potential that, that we need to work We need to work hard. Great. And Micah, you're, you're still relatively new to UVA, just joining us over the summer, but you have a lot of experience developing centers and collaboration and training programs at the University of Missouri. Can you talk a little bit more about where you see some early wins for UVA? What are some unanswered questions that we're really well positioned to uh, address here? And then what are some other spaces that you see us so well positioned to try to address in, a, in an early frame? Well, I think it's a really exciting time. And I, I just want to echo the things that have already been said by my colleagues in terms of the importance of meeting families and individuals with autism where they are, building on their strengths, and that it really does take a team of experts, including community members, family members, professionals, um, and scientists to be able to, to meet that need. Um, to me, when I think about unanswered questions in the field of autism, there are so many that it would probably take me a full day to, <laughs> to go through the list of unanswered questions. But the most important question in my mind is the question that's brought to us by families and people with autism who say, what's going to make this better? What's going to improve my life and my outcomes? And I think that's what we need to be grounded in when we think about um, questions that we can answer as a group here at UVA. Um, and that's, I think, what I heard from both of my colleagues here. 
Um, and, and that, again, is going to take an interdisciplinary approach. We have the resources at UVA to be able to address multiple unanswered questions from biology to dissemination into communities, making communities stronger and more supportive. Um, we have the expertise in the room today from multiple different disciplines, and that's what it's going to take, I think, to move the field forward. So some early um, kind of factors of success that have worked in other autism centers and places that I've been involved with have been things like building infrastructure that facilitate that interdisciplinary work so that we're not working in silos or our own labs, but talking to one another and getting our best ideas about how to improve outcomes from talking with families and people who are directly affected, from talking with professionals outside of our disciplines. And that cross-fertilization um, is what really drives the field forward in science and practice. So that infrastructure, I think, is going to be key. And Catherine, the slide that you showed, that kind of illustrates the core components of that infrastructure are, I think, the secret of success in building a, a very successful autism initiative. So um, one aspect of that, I think, is developing an autism research core of professionals who have very specialized expertise in being able to administer certain kinds of measures and tests, being able to connect with families and build um, a community of interested families and professionals who have um, an interest in participating in research. Um, a second component would be developing a database that connects labs, researchers, community uh, practitioners, and families um, that will be helpful both for research but also for um, pushing out information that we're learning about what's working and strategies that are helpful for people. Um, and then expanding our capacity to provide services, not only here at UVA, but in the community and across the Commonwealth. And so I think those three infrastructure components are going to be the um, key to success in this initiative for sure. Excellent. Well, thanks for giving us that overview. And I'm very cognizant of the fact we have so much ex expertise here in the audience. So now I'd like to open it up for some additional questions that you might have for the panelists or if there's some priority areas that you've identified that you think UVA should really be attending to or that you want to partner with us on. We'd love to hear about that. Oh, great. Thank you. We do have a couple of mics. I have somebody up here on the front row. Or you could just come on up here since you're so close, if that's all right. I won't take up too much time. Actually, my name is Nicole Group. Is it on? No. no. Okay, I can talk loud enough. Um, my name is Nicole Group. I'm a mother of a seven-year-old with autism, and he's in the county schools, which I am a strong advocate of. And I was just wondering, you mentioned all of the great partnerships we actually have via in our village. We actually have the Curry School in our village. We're, we have quite a large village. Um, but I didn't actually hear a lot about you guys reaching out to the county and the city school districts. I'm assuming you are, but as we do have some teachers in the rooms, they're probably thinking, well, what about now? I need help now. And um, I know that there are two special education advisory committees, one for the city and one for the county, and I'm actually on the county one. Um, where we are trying to advocate things for the schools. And the schools are being very supportive, but I'm just wondering what your relationship looks like now with the school systems. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, we, have, we have a strong relationship. We'll talk a little bit about the county. So Kevin Kirst, who's the special ed director, uh, uh, presented at our opening autism event. Uh, and, and, you know, when we think about those comprehensive supports and, and going out in the community, we, it can't just be making connections with UVA and Vi Institute on Autism, UVA and Albemarle County School. We need to make the connection between all these organizations to, to uh, build up the capacity. So, you know, as far as training, we, we train our teachers and we, we place them in, in institutions like autism, but we also are all throughout the schools. And, and when, we envision, when we envision the center, particularly related to the schools, we, we're, we're thinking about how we can work in collaboration with them. So we have deep, strong relationship with them. Not, not enough. That's the reality, uh, and and quite honestly, we, we need we need more folks to go into the field of special education. If you look at the state of Virginia, uh, you you can only imagine the amount of phone calls I get a week 
a week before school starts, even three weeks after school uh, starts, where they're looking for special education teachers. And they're not looking for one special education teacher, they're looking for 70 special education teachers. So we have, you know, we have a, a resource issue related to getting professionals out there. So you could have a couple of experts who want to help, but without folks that can actually implement it in the classroom, it, it's a problem. But we're absolutely dedicated to that. Uh, thank you, too, for that question. And very quickly, um, to say my beautiful boy Dan is a, a 20 years in the Albemarle County school system that was an incredible resource for him. The reason he is a gentle giant is the partnership between VIA and, and the, the school systems. We would not be successful without that partnership, period. We will not be successful with our plans to create this integrated infrastructure without strong partnerships with the schools. We've developed a, a very strong research project with rural schools. Uh, Albemarle County schools are rural schools too. And we need to find ways to get training to teachers, support for families, and actually come into the home, which is, we all know, is critical to be able to, to make this picture full. Got one right here. Oh, are you, please continue. <laughs> I was just gonna follow up and kind of circle back to some initial themes that were brought up on the panel in terms of using telehealth and um, video conferencing technology to bring training to rural and remote regions as well as uh, local training. Um, a project that I've been involved with at the University of Missouri leveraged this kind of technology to provide training to community-based um, physicians to be able to increase their capacity to provide best practice care for children with autism in their communities. And we've explored and begun piloting similar models for training teachers in schools, not only local schools, but schools um, very remote, um, to be able to increase capacity to provide evidence-based strategies in the classroom. So that's one model for providing training that could be very accessible. Great, that's helpful. So let's hear uh, if you could briefly introduce yourself and then uh, your yes. question. Hello, I'm Robin Hoffman. I'm an RN. I actually was a telemedicine RN in 2008. They didn't have one anyway, so I program because I'm also an educator. Uh, the, the point I want to make is that I wrote a broadband proposal actually of, in 2009 what to hook up the schools with um, telemedicine and Tia Campbell of this yes so she has my proposal but here's the, here's the, what I want to get at the it's already established in Kansas City and that's where I got my information from Kansas City being rural had a Dr. Doolittle that's why nobody listens to me but Dr. D Gary Doolittle was the one who put it for every single service in Kansas City and you guys know that in telemedicine. But anyway, I'm just wondering what's taking so long? Because <laughs> broadband was established in the rural communities already. And so that's my question. You bet. What's taking so long? We are 50 different states with 50 different um, healthcare processes with different standards in education. And so it's complicated to implement this. It's complicated, as I, I see a beautiful face I know that helped drive that band, broadband out to those rural communities. It's taken time, but we are now at a strategic inflection point, and I hope that that's what's being communicated, where what comes next is transformative. It's integrating all these elements of the evidence, the research, the support, uh, the training of teachers, and reaching families that have heretofore been in isolation, uh, and we are starting to reach. It's happening now. Great, thank you. I think another question uh, here. I'm curious to know what you can tell us about why there is such a rapid increase in the frequency of autism. The, uh, there are various studies, particularly those from the Institute of Medicine, have thoroughly dis, uh, discredited any theories about their being due to vaccination or being due to uh, the use of uh, thiomerosol, for example, uh, mercury-containing compounds in the origins of autism. The, the upward slope of that curve is not only frightening, but almost hard to believe that Mm -hmm. that uh, they don't represent simply underdiagnosis at earlier times. But I'd like to know what you, what is the current state of opinion about the, uh, uh, the 
population. Great. Uh, I think, Micah, you're in a really good position to address that first. Yes, that's an excellent question and um, probably one of the bigger unanswered questions in autism at this point. Um, one of the things that we know has been um, largely responsible for some of the curve and increase is our expanded definition of what autism is. So historically, autism diagnosis and diagnostic criteria were very narrowly defined. So probably only a small percentage of the population that we now know has autism spectrum disorder would have received a diagnosis based on those old criteria. And over time, the criteria have been adjusted and updated. And the most recent update to our diagnostic manual happened just a few years ago. Um, but over time, the definition has expanded. So we're capturing more people that probably would have met criteria if we used these newer criteria back then. Um, that doesn't explain the whole increase in the population. Um, there are some factors that we haven't identified in terms of um, other causes. Part of that may also be increased awareness. We've done a great job in the autism community of educating the public about what autism is and helping people recognize early signs of autism. So more and more people are being identified than would have in the past, even with the same criteria. So I hope that answers your question in part, even though we don't have a full answer. I would point out that when I was in, uh, a fourth-year medical student in 1950, uh, the psychiatrist actually broke into one of our sessions to say that he had a patient that we would never see again. And therefore, he had to show it to us because it was the only time in our career we would ever find such a patient. And he brought in a patient with autism. So I find it hard to believe that there isn't a real increase in addition to a diagnostic increase. Yeah, I appreciate that sentiment, and I want to I want to say something very important and get a, a shout out to the work that we are doing in neurosciences because it's there's this phenomenon that's happening within our communities: this radical increase, maybe better testing, broader criteria, more awareness. But I agree with you. There is something going on, and I'm very proud to be associated uh, with the work of Dr. Kapoor and the, the Brain Institute um, at the university. Um, we are rewriting the textbooks. Um, the, the recent discoveries in the relationship between the brain and the immune system that have been done here at UVA are transformative, and uh, there's the guy that can say something about it right there. Hi, my name is Jadeep Kapoor and I direct the Brain Institute and our job is to bring, uh, broadly bring uh, uh, various parts of the university together around very important problems uh, in uh, related to brain disorders and autism is one of the first things that we've focused on as a disorder uh, where we think uh, so many different people are needed and um, uh, you just heard. Uh, but I also want to point out that some very important and interesting fundamental research into causes of autism is going on at the University of Virginia at the, at the level of uh, lab research. And, and Yoni Kipnis's lab has shown that immune molecules are greatly involved. So if you take this in social behavior of animals, and as you know, a part of uh, autism spectrum disorder is uh, it is uh, deficits in social socialization and social behavior, and uh, they've found uh, many many uh, uh, roles that immune system can play in bringing about autism, but also gives us hope to treat some of these by modulating the immune system. Uh, it also gives us hope to recognize uh, uh, autism long before children start speaking, for example, at six months. Why two years? Imagine if uh, we could tell a, a family that uh, at six months and one year, based on the immune profile of the baby that's born to the family, that this child is at risk for developing autism. That's when we, uh, we can begin to intervene, whether it is by education or pie in the sky, uh, modulating their immune system or other parts of the body that uh, we can intervene on. So uh, what Brain Institute is trying to do is to bring this very exciting fundamental research that's going on in the School of Medicine and in psychology uh, along with uh, the Curry School of Education and 
uh, bring it uh, statewide with, with telehealth. We have, we have tremendous opportunity. I think uh, David just used the word, uh, we are at an inflection point. Those of us who've been around at UVA feel that this, this is a great moment of opportunity. So I'll stop there. Thank you. Yes, we are thrilled to be uh, very actively engaged in the Brain Institute and partner on hires that really illustrate our multidisciplinary commitment to this issue. It's not going to take one group of folks over in the School of Ed. It's going to take all of us working in collaboration with our state partners and educators across the state. So I think there are a few more questions that we will take. Uh, Good morning. I just had a quick question. As an alumni of the Curry School and a special education teacher, I came here today curious as to what type of initiatives you might be looking into with alum, knowing that more than probably myself are an alum and our teachers, what can we do and how are you going to continue to communicate to us to continue that professional development? Um, and also with that, are you looking to develop types of programs um, outside of training? You know, we hear about executive functioning, we hear about, you know, ABA and whatnot. But are you looking at the Curry School at developing a specific program for persons with autism? Well, that's a great setup for Bill because he's very involved in uh, developing these programming. Uh, so uh, before I was at the University of Virginia, I spent uh, a decade at the University of Iowa where we have a, a post-secondary program for individuals with intellectual disabilities and autism. And uh, there's, we've done some preliminary research to see what kind of impacts we can have with that type of a program in a, in a residential university setting and it can be pretty dramatic in fact lo and behold people with autism actually gain the same thing out of going to college that everybody else does uh, you know they become more independent uh, when they graduate they tend to make more money uh, they tend to have better jobs and so on and so forth so uh, that's that's a, a really good point uh, w one thing it was a there was the question related to what's the relationship with the county schools and what's the relationship with the folks that that you've graduated it uh, from from your program and I we really relish those types of challenges. If we're really going to make a difference, we've got, we've got to all work together, and we need to be pushed to say, hey, how about us? Because uh, even if I had the answers or we had the answers, which we don't, we don't have the personnel to push it out to the schools. We have to work together, absolutely have to work together. And we don't want this to be a pie-in-the-sky type of initiative. We want this on the grounds making a difference and be challenged by parents and professionals that are working with these individuals. And I really think that's the only way to make a difference. So thank you for that question. Yeah, I think that's a great illustration of why we're here today to talk with you, because we really want to partner with our alumni that have gotten trained in Curry or the School of Medicine or have a personal or professional connection to this area, because this isn't going to be something we here on grounds are going to be able to tackle. We really need partners. And so we want to hear from you and invite you to reach out to us with ideas or opportunities for collaboration and partnership. So we're really very excited about that. I think we'll take one final question. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up today. I'm Dr. Daria Brzezinski, and I work with the adult population and autism in this community, which there is a plethora of, and they have many, many, many issues um, that you can address, like, you know, driver ed, uh, teaching driver ed classes with your simulator and things of that nature. Every time I go to one of these events, the focus is always on children and school-age children. But there, but there is a huge majority of individuals in this community in a five-county area um, who have a tremendous amount of needs. And we have socials for them and things of that nature because there just aren't anything. In my experience in working with them, I do, I'm a job coach, and I help them in independent living. And what I see is all the deficits that happen after they've graduated from high school and don't have the life skills that they need for anything, much less independent living and working in a job. The second thing I wanted to have you address is, in looking at this chart here and looking at the dates, um, if you would kindly look into the correspondence between the GMOs, the glyphosates, and the fluorine in our uh, culture and in our environment related to those um, dates may have something to do with it as well. 
Thank you. Thanks for, for that. I would actually like to call up Yuja, if that's okay. Yuja, who's right on the front row, uh, one of our new hires. If you wouldn't mind stepping up and talking a little bit about some of the work that you're doing with the emerging adult population. Uh, this lifespan perspective is certainly one that we embrace and uh, need to build out our team, and that's one reason we recruited Yuja to join us at the university. Yeah, it's a very interesting comment. Um, in the past couple of years, I've been working at the University of Iowa, the post-secondary education program for young adult learners with autism and uh, uh, developmental disabilities. And we start try um, a lot of uh, innovative interventions with those learners. Like Bill said, um, a lot of people assume that young adult learners, uh, at this stage, they are not capable of learning academic skills anymore. But whenever we tried and whenever we target those important skills, for example, decoding or reading fluency, vocabulary, and uh, reading comprehension, we already achieved those success, and these students can make meaningful gains. So, um, you know, what we continue to, uh, to, uh, to do is to focus on uh, young adult learners and with autism and to look at those functional, you know, life skills. Those functional life skills defined 50 years ago, they are no longer applicable to these days, you know, in order to, for these young adults to be able to uh, live independently and meaningfully, we should address those, uh, you know, uh, important skills like academic skills. Um, Great, thank you. I Matt, think David will address the second part and then we'll sneak in a final question here. Well, yeah, and I just wanna, I just wanna say that near and dear to my heart, what we do with autism, this is a, debil a disability at this moment across the lifespan. I want Ethan just to say two, two words about our commitment in the community to adults with autism because it's very mm -hmm. real for all of us. So uh, I'm the executive director at the Virginia Institute of Autism, and thank you, folks. So we're, we're thrilled about the potential for collaboration, in part because the evidence base that we are committed to is always constantly changing. And one of the things we know about our adults with autism, uh, particularly here in the Commonwealth, is there's not a large evidence base about what works for those folks. Mm -hmm. So we're striving, we're trying. We've got a very small program right now. But ultimately, one of the things I think that's most exciting about the potential of UVA uh, uh, and thinking, I mean, most immediately we've been talking about some of the immediate needs at the younger stages of the game, but what can we be doing at the later stages of the game? Because right now we have over 500,000 adolescents who are moving into the adult system nationwide in the next six to 10 years. In Virginia alone, we have 7,000, uh, over 7,000 adults waiting for waivers for critical services that they need to be more independent and to live a more quality life, a better quality of life. So I'm thrilled that the university is taking on this project, but then I'm also thinking too, this is big, this is really big. Where's McIntyre, where's Darden? Let's figure out how are we gonna get these folks jobs? How are we gonna advocate across the state for improving service systems that ultimately are gonna lend folks as they don't outgrow their autism as they move into the uh, adult world and they're still experiencing challenges. You know, how are we gonna start to solve some of those bigger, bigger issues and problems? So I'm thrilled that we've got that collaboration going. Thank you, Ethan. And I, just on the second part of that question, because it is so important and because of what the work is in the, the Brain Institute and this, the notion of the relationship between the immune system, the blood-brain barrier, all that's, go it's going away. We are re literally rewriting the textbook on this. And we will discover what those environmental factors are, what the genetic factors are, um, what the awareness factors are. That's part of this challenge. Great. Our final question over here, and then we'll wrap up, so. Okay, um, I have a question, uh, obviously. Uh, growing up with autism, my parents really focused, and it was like focused on different strategies, and it was hit, miss, hit, miss. And then when I went into the autism field, um, the more I'm in it, the more I realize how much, how many strategies and how many programs are a hit and miss. And with Common Core, and um, I teach students who are severely autistic, um, some are verbal, some are nonverbal. And it doesn't really seem like there is a clear-cut programs or strategies out there. You mentioned having reading strategies that really help the kids. Uh, like I use Edmark or uh, sometimes unique learning, but it doesn't really seem to focus on long-term progress. 
And I, do, I don't want to underestimate my students like people underestimated me. So what are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just so have them right here in my pocket. Okay. No. <laughs> we don't know. We have, a, you know, we have a lot of research that we, that we need to work on. I, I think one thing we know uh, is that we've underestimated individuals with autism for way too long and that they have a lot of strengths and that we need to build off of those strengths and we need to challenge them, reasonably challenge them to, to reach for their potential, just like everybody else. And so you should talk a little bit about the academic area and certainly the social area and the vocational area. And one, one, of, the, one of the main things to think about is how do we harness their motivations and their interests, just like everybody else. You know, so if you find you, you can latch on to an individual with autism or any individual, some passion of theirs, and then build academic and social and other interactions around that, then boy, you really have something. And so uh, I'm happy to have you in the field. I would agree, and thank you so much for that comment. I think um, some of the work that we're doing now is trying to develop better tools for figuring out what interventions are gonna work for which people. And I, I think it's not one size fits all. So the more that we can do in that area, developing better tools and technologies for um, figuring out how to target interventions and strategies for an individual so that we can make the most progress is gonna be something we'll be focusing on with our research and practical work. I feel like we could go on for a few more hours because there's such great questions and comments from the audience. But I've never said this before, but I know I'm between you and a football game. So uh, I'm going to wrap up, but I'm going to leave you with this slide here because as we make our way up to uh, Scott Stadium, we'll be thinking about this and we will continue to be thinking about this issue both very seriously here at UVA and, and really thinking creatively about ways to engage you as we move forward. So thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I wish you great luck and please reach out to us as we uh, develop a, a vision around this and want to engage you as partners and thanks so much to our panelists here today and the organizers yes thank you very much everybody Catherine this is for you thank you so much and guys before